The Old Testament of our Bible is sometimes daunting. Scan the pages of the good book and you will hear of genocide, violence, polygamy, and other hard-to-handle issues. Some might think the God of the Old Testament was different than our caring and compassionate Jesus. They are wrong. Our God is the God of the Old and the New Testament, whether we always understand it or not. So why read the Old Testament? It tells us where we've been, it tells us where we're going. We see the beauty of God's love, and it swells with prophecies about Jesus. We love the Old Testament because Jesus loved it. Join us as we continue our ongoing series, Origins, Studying the Bible Jesus Read. Amen. It's good to be with you guys today. I think I counted when we had a few coming at the end. We had 25 kids. That's, a, that's pretty awesome, because like three years ago, we were like hoping for 25 people to show up for church. Um, it's good to be with you today. I'm Pastor Dale. Um, I'm the lead pastor for City Life Church. Um, when you hear lead pastor, you should hear someone who, who would lay down his life uh, f- for the people in front of you, not someone who would seek to control you. Um, I'm here because I love you and I love this community, and, and I hope that as we go through the word, you'll, you'll be able to see that um, God has something for us today, and uh, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes, but you know what will never be wrong is the word of God. So as I read to you the word of God, that's always going to be right. Um, as I speak on what I think about it, what I've learned about it, as I've studied it, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, one thing I want to mention before we get any further is we have this men's conference coming up. Um, we've had lots of women. We've had five years of women's conferences in our church, and we have had zero men's conferences. The only thing we've done has been like, hey, let's have some steak or carne asada, and like, let's play some games. And I feel like that's, that's what our, our, our culture has said that men should be like. You know, you turn on the TV, I grew up with the Simpsons, you know? The, I feel like the, the image of men in our, in our culture is Homer more than anything else, that we just say men are bumbling, the women are the ones who are wise, the women are the ones who, who can speak up, the women are the ones who do the right thing, and the men are, men are the ones who like kind of get it right sometimes, you know, if it works out. You know, everybody loves Raymond. Look at that guy, dude. I mean, all these shows, all these things we've been taught about men, and, and I just... I, I decided unilaterally we should have a men's conference, and I, I got some great speakers who are coming. I'm really excited for it. Um, it's 25 bucks, and if you don't have 25 bucks, well, all you do is um, you can put it's a you can go online and you can do five bucks. Um, and the reason why I like you to pay something for it is because I want it to like cost you money because I want you to show up. But if you don't have any money, talk to me. We'll get you signed up. We'll do it for free. And we're gonna have bow-legged barbecue. Um, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some like Korean barbecue as well. Cause it's men's conference. So I guess we do barbecue. Um, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to have these, these great speakers. We're going to have this guy, uh, Bishop A.B. Vines. We're going to have, um, Pastor Roland Slade, Pastor Pete Contreras. And I actually have a few guys who are going to be telling their personal stories, um, about the way God's worked in their life, including uh, actually Kenny Stance from Bowlegged Barbecue, um, as well as uh, a gentleman named Anthony who, who spent a lot of time in prison, and God redeemed it um, for God's glory. And so uh, it's going to be really great. We're going to have games and stuff like that, too, because I, I guess that men are supposed to have that. Um, but it's going to be really amazing. And I kind of, you know, I, I told, like, we're renting a church building just down on Raven Street, real nearby. Um, and uh, 
uh, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I think we should do this. As a pastor, I'm going to like say we should do it. And then I re- I'm like hoping you guys sign up. So we have 11 dudes signed up. I really want to see 25. That means that some people need to bring friends, you know? So I'm really hoping that we do this. And I'm really hoping we do this because I want our men to lead in service. Um, I, want, I want people to look at the men of our community and say, these men lay down their lives for everyone else around them. And that's the way it should be for men. And I, I, I'm already starting to preach, but, um, but I just want you to know that this is important to me, and I hope that you'll make it important to you. Do you have time? No. Uh, women uh, who are married, uh, if, if you have a husband who is not going, uh, bribe them. I don't, I don't care. Get them there. Find a way to get them there. Um, and I think it will be a benefit to everyone. I think it will be a benefit to our families, to our church, to our neighborhoods. And uh, because I think these guys are like, these guys are ballers, and they're going to come in front of us and say, hey, uh, good enough is not good enough. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I like being challenged sometimes. And so that's what it's going to be. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be challenged. So uh, today's uh, message is entitled, Murder Was the Case. Um, I don't know if anybody gets that reference, because it's from like 20 years ago. So I'm, did anybody get that reference? I got like two, three guys. All right, thank you. I'm so glad to hear it. It's, a, it's an old Snoop Dogg song. Um, <laughs> Uh, let me get to the translation. Buenos días. Si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted acostada de la sala. So today, um, I'm going to talk to you about Exodus 20:13, but I'm not going to have you go there. You can trust me. It's three words, okay? So I don't want you to go there. Um, I want you to go to Matthew 5:21 through 24. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. We have some amazing Bibles over on the corner. If you don't have a good Bible that has study notes in it, um, we want you to take one. They cost us about 15 to 20 bucks. We want you to throw 10 bucks in the offering. If you don't have money and you really want a Bible and you'll treasure it and you'll cherish it, take a Bible and keep it. They're super nice. We want to go bankrupt on giving away Bibles if we have to, okay? Because we believe the Word of God should be cherished and we want to give you a nice Bible. So in that corner, we have Bibles available. We want you to get that. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5, 21 through 24, okay? Um, all right, I'm already caffeinated. Okay, so Exodus 20, 13. Let me just read this to you. You can trust me. Do not murder. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. Matthew 5, 21 through 24 goes a little deeper when we have Jesus to help us interpret the Bible, doesn't it? It's so good that Jesus teaches us. Here we go, Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hell fire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. This is insane, friends. This is a a rough thing to understand. And so we need to go to this scripture, we need to go to this passage in prayer. So will you join me? Father, we thank you for today. God, I want to just come before you and thank you for the illnesses uh, that remind us that we are not sovereign. Lord, I don't know why I had to get a cold two weeks in a row, but you knew. But God, I know that it reminds us that our time is short. It reminds us that ultimately our um, our time is so short and our legacy is about you. This morning, I ask that you would help us to love others by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by trying harder.
because we know that when we try harder, we, we, we screw it up. God, would you give us patience that we do not come by naturally? Would you give us endurance to show genuine love to the people around us? Would you help us to train our children to love each other in your way? God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We are here because of you, and we are here for you. Would you teach us? Would you train us? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm jumping straight into it, okay? And I'm, I'm telling you, we have three points on anger and murder. And our first point is this, murder destroys those made in God's image. And, and once again, I'm going to tell you this from the very beginning. I try to have a very balanced view of what murder is. I try to have a very balanced view of what scripture is. And my goal today is to make some of you squirm, to make some of you mad at me, okay? That's my goal. Not really, but it's going to happen. Exodus 20, 13, do not murder. The best way to translate this is don't murder. Some translate it as do not kill, but when we understand the context of where this has been used in the Bible, other places, when it is saying do not kill in this specific way, it is saying do not murder. It is saying premeditated murder. I'm not going to spend the whole day on this, okay? Um, This one seems pretty obvious to some of us, but I'm going to talk to you about a few things. Um, One, uh, murder is saying that the other human being is not made in God's image. When we murder, we say the other human being is not made in God's image. Murder is saying that the other person doesn't hold value. Once again, context is important here, and I've been talking about this the whole series, okay? Um, Remember, we are reading from the book of Exodus, and the Ten Commandments are a response to the slavery of the Hebrew people. They've been in in Egypt for over 400 years, 430 years to be exact. And since they've been there for 430 years, for probably our guesstimate of 400 years, they were in slavery, How would that influence the way that they respond to freedom now? And and perhaps were there some things ingrained in them that continued on until God had to say, hey, there's a better way. Let me talk to you about it. Let's call it the Ten Commandments and let's put it in stone. So remember, um, the people in in Egypt were likely, uh, the the Hebrews in Egypt were likely enslaved for 400 years. Um, to, To put that in context, our country is about 240 years old. So that's going to have some implications, isn't it? And, and I'm going to take you back just for a moment. They were surrounded by foreign gods and idols in Egypt for about 400 years. So God's response in his first commandments, uh, first commandment in stone is to tell them, don't worship any other God but him and do not make idols. They were enslaved for 400 years and most likely were never allowed to take rest. So God's response is to teach them to take rest and to teach them to Sabbath. They were in slavery for 400 years, and since they were property, they were most likely separated from their families on a whim of a of so, of so-called owner. So God's response is to teach them to value the family unit, unlike they had seen in Egypt when they were enslaved. Context is key, right? Now let's continue to think about this idea of slavery as we look at our next commandment. Now, I want to talk to you about what we have as our history of chattel slavery here in the United States. We have a history of slavery, and it informs the way we think about the Hebrews enslaved. Now, in colonial America, as well as Egypt, there was something called the Barbados Act. And the Barbados Act would levy fines against an enslaver if that person was proven to have intentionally killed an enslaved person, they would get a fine. Think about that. 
A, think about there was a time before you would get fined for killing a human being that was enslaved. Secondly, it's a fine. It's a fine for killing a human being. So once this was put into action, you would think this would change things. But many years later, people could get um, even into more serious trouble for killing a human that they thought was their own property. However, no one would accuse them. And the word of an enslaved person was not admissible in court. So who's going to tell on you if you kill another human being in colonial America? Nobody. So, so we, would, we would create fines. We would create um, things that said this is wrong, but ultimately we wouldn't enforce it, would we? And so you had people who had seen, most likely in Egypt, in the same way that you saw here in America, that there were people who were valued as less than human, and so it was okay to kill another human being. So just looking at our own history, we see the way slavery causes us to devalue human life. And we know that those who have been abused often become abusers, right? We've talked about this. And God was telling Israel to quit it before it started. God was telling Israel, we do not want you to pass this sin on to your people. So do not murder. He wanted them to know that anytime you attack those made in God's image, you attack God himself. Anytime you attack those made in God's image, you attack himself, God himself. Now, what causes us to value human life less? Perhaps their politics, friends? Maybe their age. Uh, maybe they're too old to be valuable to society. Maybe they're too young to be life. Maybe they're too handicapped to be useful in society. If they live on the other side of the globe, do we see them as less valuable? Now, we have to understand, this doesn't mean God is against all killing, friends. Praise God that he specifically tells us to eat cows and pigs, because that makes my day better, especially when we go and you, you drive by my house and you just smell the cows and pigs being cooked, right? Like, that's not the type of killing that we're talking about here. There are going to be moments of self-defense. There's going to be moments of protecting someone in danger. I don't think that this is what God is talking about, but I want to take a moment to make you all angry at me. I'd like to give you a few thoughts on things that I think might be included in murder. My goal is to make all of you mad at me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to all the emails that you're going to send me, um, all the text messages. Here we go. What might be considered murder? This is your pastor speaking, an interpretation of the Bible. Based on my entire understanding of the Bible, I believe capital punishment can be considered murder. Why? Now, look at this. According to the NAACP, over 10% of black men who have been convicted of murder and put to death by the death penalty were later exonerated. So what does that mean? That means that 10% of the people we have put to death that were of a certain skin color have been exonerated after they have been killed. Yeah. Friends, that's murder. Yes, it is. And so when we look at the death penalty, I know most of my Christian contemporaries would say the death penalty is not murder. I'm just here maybe as a voice in the wilderness to say to you, I still think it is. Okay? And, and what I'm going to tell you as I bring to you these, these examples, as I say, look at the Bible, see what you see. I'm telling you my thoughts on it, and we know clearly you're looking at Scripture and what Scripture says. I'm not telling everyone you have to agree with me on these, but I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to bring them out where the left should be annoyed, the right should be annoyed, and everybody in between. Next, abortion. If the United, in the United States, we perform 600,000 abortions per year. I believe our church has been involved in stopping at least one of them. And I'm so proud of that, helping a family to thrive past the desire to abort a baby. Now, let me just say this to some of you. This may be in your past. We're not mad at you. We love you. 
But we want to stop this however we can, friends. Perhaps God will continue to help us assist other families so they can keep their child. Suicide. It is also destroying a human being made in God's image. Even if it's you, it's devaluing a human life made in God's image. Now, friends, if this is your first argument you make to someone who is depressed, um, I tell you, you might want to rethink it. But if I'm talking about what murder is today, if I'm talking about the killing that God is talking about today, I want us to have a comprehensive understanding of what it might be, okay? And still, when I say these things, I want it to drive you to the word of God. If you disagree with me, look to the word of God and see, where do I stand on this? And I believe that if you try to seek God in your understanding, you're going to find a positive direction forward. Here's another one, unjust forms of war. Now, ancient African bishop Augustine says it this way. He says, peace ought to be your desire, war only necessity. War is waged in order to win peace. Hence, even in warfare, be a peacemaker that you, do, that you may be conquering your assailants, bring them over to the advantage of peace. So there's all kinds of nebulous questions swirling through your brains right now, I know. Like, uh, like what if the mother's gonna die? What if the child's going to die anyway? What if the war seems right to protect innocent people from dying? What about euthanasia? And friends, I tell you, these questions should drive us to our Bibles. They should drive us to understand where does God fit in all these things? What about this question? What if I have a cure to a disease that I worked hard on for, and I want to sell it to you for $250, and you have nothing? Is it murder for me to keep medicine away from you when I have the ability to help? Friends, these are tough questions, aren't they? We should be asking them as Christians. All of these things can get squishy, but the fact is many people in this room are going to disagree on these issues, and we have to seek to fight for the, the good of all. But we have to seek each other out, and we have to build bridges. We can all agree that God values life, though. Can we agree on that? God values life. Can I hear you, church? Does God value life? Yes. And it should influence the way we live ours. So we Christians have to do whatever we can to value life as well, life in all its forms. Friends, anytime you attack those made in God's image, you are attacking God himself. Now I can tell you, I'm going to tell you a squishy moment in my life. That sounds weird, right? But whatever. Um, when my dad was passing away, they had, they had him um, face down, uh, upside down, and they said this was going to preserve his life by hours. And, and I had to, um, to say to the nurse, like, I don't want to preserve his life by hours with his head facing down if he could be more comfortable um, and, and, and sit in a comfortable position to pass away. What does that mean? I can tell you this. I was looking to the word trying to figure out, did I murder my dad? I don't believe that I did because he was dying and I had them sit him up. It wasn't like some life-saving therapy that they gave him, but it struggled with me. It, it, it sat in my gut. And if you're like me, you've probably felt moments of guilt when you're trying to do the best thing for the people around you. You're not going to always get it right. Some of you have had abortions in this room, and I want to tell you that God forgives you and loves you. He's with you even now. And so, friends, you may be thinking, Pastor, don't ever speak about politics again, but I want to quote Barclay here when I say, a Christian man is a Christian citizen. A Christian man is a Christian citizen. He was a dude back in the day, so he's not going to mention women. Sorry. So you may be thinking this, friends. So if I didn't kill anyone, I'm good, pastor. Well, I haven't killed anyone for weeks, so I'm good, right? 
Well, that's what religious folks said to Jesus, though, isn't it? They said, uh, Jesus, I- I'm so good. I follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. And Jesus says to them, mm, no, you don't. You need a Savior. Here, let me show you how you need it. He said it goes so much further than just not killing someone. And so we get to have Jesus interpret the Bible for us, which is so much better than Pastor Dale. So that brings us to our second point, and that is hatred destroys siblings made in God's image. Hatred destroys siblings made in God's image. Now, what is a sibling here? Jesus specifically talks about Christian brothers and sisters. So um, do I think hatred is bad against other people? Yes. Specifically, though, Jesus is speaking to our siblings in Christ. Let me take a drink. Hold on. Okay, that was mic'd up. Okay, verse 22. Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother and sister will be subject to, to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Okay, so really what Jesus says here is whoever says raka, raka, will be subject to hellfire. Now, raka, this is like, you know, it's one of those things where someone's like, oh, Jesus just said that aloud. Like, like it would have been like, kind of like, it would have made people go, whoa, yikes, Jesus, you know, calm down. Um, the best way I can, like, in a sermon, translate raka, um, raka, is this, you freaking idiot, you moron, can you believe her? The CSB conservatively translates it as you fool, but many commentators say raka is not a word you can translate, because it's more about tone than anything. And we know about tone. Many of us are experts in tone. You could say the right thing, and you can say it so cruel, so mean, that you are pronouncing raka upon someone else. That, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say a raka tone, okay? Can, can I give you a raka tone? It's this. That dress looks great on you. Mm-hmm. Or everyone loves hearing your opinions. Do you know what I'm talking about? When someone speaks to you that way, that is raka. That is mean. It is condescending. It is not just hateful words. It might even be nice words, but it's a hateful intent in your heart. That is what raka is. That is what Jesus is talking about. And anytime you attack those made in God's image, you are attacking God himself. Now, Jesus is the one who's helping us to interpret these Ten Commandments. I'm so thankful because he wrote them. Jesus says, are you good at doing good stuff? Awesome. But what Jesus is concerned with is the state of your heart. The state of your heart. Murder is a symptom of an issue of the heart. Jesus is so much more interested in the obedience of our heart than simple actions. Now, this term Jesus uses for anger is orgizo. Orgizo. I, have, I listen to translations. If you ever want to like, listen to translations, there's something called blueletterbible.com. You can listen to them translate for you. What's crazy is it's this southern guy. And so it's like, I'm always like trying to like, okay, is that the southern accent saying orgizo? Or is that how they say it? I don't know. So when you get it from me, you might get the southern accent. I don't know. But this is not, this is a, we should define this type of anger that Jesus is talking about too. Because it's not quick anger. Like you think about certain angers where it's like, You know, you throw a piece of newspaper into a fire, it like flames up quick and then it goes away. That's not orgizo, okay? Orgizo is a slow burn. It's the coals in the fire that seem to last forever. The ones that you put your marshmallows by, right? The ones that stick around. Have you ever had that kind of anger? I have. 
One author calls it the sin of contempt. It is the kind of anger that destroys a person and everyone around them. Anger and hatred is so destructive. Often it consumes both people, not just the person you're angry with, but you. Think about it this way. You go outside in your backyard. We're in California, and you see black widows in your backyard. What do you do about black widows? We had a city group. I think we found a brown widow this week, actually. But what do you do when you see a black widow? Well, you might go and take care of it, right? No, 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 no. No, orgizo is more like this. You set fire to your whole house, hoping that it's going to destroy the black widows in the backyard. But who does that hurt? Does it hurt the black widows? It might not even reach them, but it's going to destroy you. That type of anger that smolders and continues and festers, it's like a wound that never heals. This is the type of anger that Jesus is talking about. It's contempt of someone else, and it burns in our guts, and it stays there, and it makes us sick. That's the best way to get back at someone, right? To to, to burn your house down. The best way to get back at someone is to, to let anger fester and bruise you instead of them. I want you to think of that Christian who bugs you right now, friends. Someone whom you disagree with. Close your eyes. Do you see them? Do you see them in your head? That person was made in God's image. When you denigrate them, you denigrate God and his creation. You sin against God. And you allow their sins to cause you to sin. When you get mad at them, your anger burns your own house down. And you know what? that means they're controlling you. That means they're controlling you. Friends, some people have avoided church or an event because that person was going to be there only to learn that the other person did the same thing. I have seen it multiple occasions. Someone's like, two people get in a fight. I don't see either one at church the next week because they're trying to avoid the other person. Instead of us going to them and seeking reconciliation and choosing to go at them every time with a hug and love and prayer, we decide, you know what? I'm just not going to show up. And and what happens is both people burn their own houses down. Both people suffer. Both people have sin inside their heart against that person. And the other person is causing them to sin. You know what the most powerful thing to do is to forgive someone and seek reconciliation. Friends, don't let it hurt you. Don't let it hurt the people around you. Now, Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. Let me read this to you. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed for him by the day you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you among along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Why do we forgive? Because we were forgiven. Why do we forgive? Because we were forgiven from all this junk. And it seems more likely that someone has probably sinned against us less, not in every occasion, sinned against us less than we've sinned against God, friends. So when you are bitter and you are full of anger and wrath, the Bible says you grieve God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. It is a part of the Trinity. He is God. You grieve God. And friends, anytime you attack those made in God's image, you are attacking God himself. And so I ask again, who do you need to be reconciled to? And this brings up our third point, friends, and that is unity is the only way. Unity is the only way forward. 
Verse 23, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Yo, what this is saying is, is that having a heart for reconciliation is to go, that it is to go before worship. God calls us to worship him, and he's saying being reconciled first. Is that, does that not blow your mind that he would say, like, seek reconciliation before you seek to worship me? I think that's incredible. I would say it this way. Being reconciled to each other is worship. Being reconciled to each other is worshiping your God. It brings glory to God. Now, Jesus is not, the, not only concerned with our anger, but with us causing others to be angry, right? The sin of anger is a problem from both sides. Now, Indian pastor Brian Wintle, he says it this way. He says, we generally remember what others have done to offend us better than we remember what we have done to offend others. If we are truly concerned about dealing with anger and hatred, we should be concerned about ensuring that we are not the cause of getting others angry. Man, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? He's, here's the thing, Christians, we have to be water. When everyone around us is fire, we have to be water. When someone levels up, we need to bring it down. Now, I want to go back to the death penalty for a moment. Don't worry, it's not going to be political anymore. When you've had a brother sin against you, you may not kill them, but have you ever acted like they are dead to you? If you are trying to protect yourself from violence or intimidation at some point, I understand. But if you are not seeing eye to eye and you are both seeking reconciliation as a Christian, you must, must try. No godly, motivated relationship with broken people should ever be dead. Can I say that again? No godly, motivated relationship with broken people should ever be dead. Now, there's a part in the Bible where you have this dude, John Mark, and he betrays everybody, right? And so you have Paul and this other dude, Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement, and they get in a fight over, what should we do with this dude? And they end up going their separate ways. And, 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 and I guess that's okay, but what we see later on is that they do reconcile later. They do reconcile. So we have an example of people in the Bible who kind of go their separate ways for a while, but then they come back together in reconciliation because we know that it's from God. Now, I want to remind you again, this is for someone who deserves reconciliation, okay? I'm not talking about someone who abuses you. I'm talking about a Christian brother who deserves reconciliation. But also this means we have to go straight to people. Reconciliation means you don't ignore them, but you intentionally choose to break the ice. You are intentional to show that they are important to you because God has made them in his image. Civil rights activist from Mississippi, John Perkins, he says this, there is no reconciliation until you recognize the dignity of the other. Until you see their view, you have to enter into the pain of the people. You've got to feel their need. Friends, this is him talking about men, policemen who abused him and put him in prison for protesting for his right to vote, almost killing him. This is who John Perkins is talking about forgiving. Now, Joe Capolio, he points out that Jesus wants us to not ignore our anger or just to control it, but to deal with it. And that is, the way we deal with it is by seeking reconciliation. He goes on to say, those with burning anger in their heart cannot offer true worship. The anger will destroy their moral fiber. Friends, the devil does not care who you hate. He has no worries about who you hate. Do you want to hate the president? He wants that. Do you want to hate someone evil? He loves it. 
Do you want to hate someone who's hurt you? He loves it. He just wants you hating someone. But anytime you attack those made in God's image, you are attacking God himself. Now, back in the day, um, I had a dream when uh, we first planted our church in Wichita, Kansas. And that was uh, almost 10 years ago. And I remember this dream was that we were downtown Wichita. It's a bigger city than you might think if you're not from here. It's like 400,000 people. We were downtown Wichita, and, this, and all our church people were downtown. And I remember these tornadoes started coming, because, you know, Kansas, right? So you're going to dream about tornadoes, I guess. So all these tornadoes come through downtown, and the only thing we could do is, like, put our foot up against a building and grab a hand and hold on. And we had our entire church holding hands in this dream, holding each other down against the tornadoes that wrecked them. Now, why do I want to talk about this? Because I had another dream this week. I had a dream that, that we were in this building, and it was kind of like, to me, it kind of looked like the inside of the sports arena, okay? And there's like a hallway on the outside, and on the inside is where the sports arena is, you know, where you watch the goals play and where you see like concerts as that place is falling apart. So what was happening is on the outside, it was like dinosaurs everywhere. I don't know what my dreams are about, friends. But there's dinosaurs everywhere. And I remember what I was doing is I was sneaking through the hallway, trying to avoid dinosaurs, trying to get away from the velociraptors so they didn't eat me and all this stuff. And then I got in into the main area of like what looked like a sports arena. And you know what I saw in there? Do you know what I saw in there? I saw our church. And I saw people from our church setting up chairs for worship. And you know what else I saw? I saw people by the doors watching and protecting with their backs to the people setting up chairs, protecting them from the attacks of the dinosaurs. Yes, I know it sounds funny. I know it sounds funny, but here's what I'll say. What if, what if we have to sometimes have our backs to each other to protect each other, but the devil wants us looking at each other so we can get attacked from the outside? But instead, instead, we have people inside setting up chairs for the lost, setting up chairs for those people who are hurting, setting up chairs for those who are struggling so that our church might welcome in more people. But we have to have people praying against the attacks of the devil. And the attacks of the devil look like this. He wants you to hate each other. He wants you to be angry at each other. And he wants you to burn with anger so much so. He wants you to judge each other so much so that you're like, you know what, this church thing is dumb. He wants you to lose focus on who Jesus is in his goodness and look at how messed up your pastor is, how messed up the person next to you is, how messed up we are. And friends, we are broken, ugly people in need of a good savior. And we have to go back to back rather than face to face angry at each other. That's the way the church has to be. I kind of see it like when we were kids and we played Red Rover. Remember that game? Who didn't get injured playing Red Rover? <laughs> For those of you who are too young, Red Rover was where we would hold hands and we would um, say, Red Rover, Red Rover, let someone come over. And we would say their name. And we would always pick that little kid, you know, because we would know that we could, we, could, we could hold it if the little kid comes through. And then by the end, it would break down to where there's like one kid left. And then he, he was always that one big kid. It kind of got a stalemate every time. But here's the thing. With Red Rover, the only way to win is to hold hands as tight as you can and break your wrist. Right? I mean, come on. You got hurt. That is what church is. How can you hold hands? How can you fight against evil? How can you fight against the devil if we're unwilling to find reconciliation with each other? You cannot. 
If you are fighting each other, you will be attacked and you will leave yourself vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. We have to seek reconciliation, hold hands tight, and kick the velociraptors in the face. (laughs) The devil's going to try and send things at you. But if you lock arms and hold tight, we will find true victory. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'm finishing up, friends. I'll invite the band back up. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. God is calling us to be united. Friends, do we agree? Oh my gosh. We, we can't agree on like dumb things. Let's agree on the big things. Let's agree on the fact that Jesus has redeemed us and that we love each other despite our differences. Reconciliation, though, is hardly ever anything that happens through email. It hardly ever happens through text messages. We have to seek each other out, find each other. Let me tell you this. When you send a text message or an email, this is like a little freebie, um, it should always be positive. If If you send a text message or an email, it should be positive. Don't ever do negative business through text. Don't. If the best you can do is call them, then call them. Even better, meet in person, talk to someone about it, work it out in love with a desire to see that person built up. One more verse, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And friends, we are incapable of doing this. I have spoken with so many of you, and you have been hurt so badly. And we know that hurt people hurt people, right? That because you've been hurt, you want to attack everybody. And many of you have run away from other people, and some of you have run away from abusive situations, and I'm more power to you. I'm cool with that, okay? But we have to seek reconciliation. And the only way to truly seek godly reconciliation is by the power of Jesus in us. The reason why he told us that we we are murderers is because he wants us to understand that we always will fall short when we try to do this in our own power. That we need him. And there's a reason why Jesus came to this planet there's a reason why Jesus came to this earth, because we can't do it. The men he, were, he was talking to just said, oh, I follow the Ten Commandments. And he's like, you don't. You don't. It's still separating you from me. Your sin still separates you from me. And so Jesus bridged the gap. He came to this earth. He lived the perfect life so that we might have life in him. And friends, when he sacrificed himself on that cross... When he rose again on the third day, he looked death in the eye and said, you are no more. He looked our sin in the eye and said, it's done. It is finished. He conquered our sin and death. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is why we come to him and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's why we look at someone else and say, I'm a debtor. I look at you in your debt and I say, how good that we can find ourselves in Jesus, even with our debts. Friends, that's what we call the gospel. Now, for those of you in the room who have taken the lives of others, some of you have taken the lives on these streets, there is forgiveness in Jesus. Some of you are veterans who may have taken lives while taking orders. I've spoken to you who feel great remorse of the things you've done in the name of our country. I've even had one man say that he doesn't believe God can forgive him for what he's done. 
And I tell you, God's grace is greater than your sin. For those of you who have had abortions, I tell you, God looks upon you as his beloved child and forgives you. For those of you who have hated your brother, there is forgiveness in Jesus. Repent now and receive his forgiveness. I want to leave you with one of my favorite quotes of all time by a theologian named Justo Gonzalez from Cuba. He says this, The cross may be said to be the ultimate act of violence against violence. A violent response to violence simply, simply results in more violence. A lack of violence simply lets it continue unabated. What Jesus does is to take violence upon himself, to direct it at himself, and to respond to it in the one way that violence cannot abide, with love and forgiveness. This is so radical that violence is defanged and does not know how to respond. City Life Church, anytime you attack those made in God's image, you are attacking God himself. So let us embrace the forgiveness of Christ and find what true joy looks like and let us extend it to one another. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this group of people who came and got yelled at. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would cause them to feel your presence. I pray that your word would speak to them. And God, we come to you in this moment knowing that we have sinned against our neighbor and we have sinned against you. And in this moment of silence, we confess to you our sins in our hearts. Oh, good God. Thank you for forgiving our sins. God, we thank you that you can look into our hearts and see all of them. You know everything we've done wrong, and still you call us home. God, I pray that we would seek you today, that we would seek reconciliation with you where it's needed. We would seek reconciliation with the person next to us where it's needed, the person that we've intentionally chosen to sit as far away as possible from this morning. We ask that you would help us to love them with a deep and abiding love that only comes by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by any work of our own, because we just can't do it. So we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for empowering us. We thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight, and that you have chosen to redeem us. God, we love you, and we pray this all in the good name of Jesus Christ. Amen.